Hi, this is Frisky Dog, the Barbecue Wizard, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Bye-bye. Start the game. Let's go. We'll do it live. Do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike your match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Barbecue Central Show. This is a show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. Broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. The barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you right here on the show. If you want to jump in on the show tonight, more than happy to have you. It's a phone call or an email. You can get in touch with the show by calling 216-220-0966. Email Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. On the Twitter and Instagram, at BBQ Central Show. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening. Coming up in about 12 minutes from now, it's the first Tuesday of the month. By the way, welcome to July. 2020 rapidly coming to a close, and the first Tuesday of a month brings a visit from one of two regularly scheduled first Tuesday of the month visitors, the creator of How to Barbecue Right, the pitmaster of Killer Hogs Barbecue Team, Malcolm Reed, joins the show. He missed June. We'll get a recap on why he missed a June, what could have possibly been more important than to make his scheduled rounds here on the Live Fire Barbecue and Grilling Show. And we'll also talk about those apple pie ribs that I saw him do on his YouTube channel. Plenty to get to. By the way, since his last visit, Malcolm squeezed in a barbecue competition, so we have to get the update and the rundown on how the new barbecue trailer worked out. That was the maiden voyage. We'll see if he's named it. I don't know if it's like Killer Hogs Trailer One or remember back in the day when former sponsor of the show Fred Bernardo from uh, Fred's Music and BBQ Supply had like this beat RV and it was Barbecue One was the name of his vehicle that got him from place to place. We'll see if Malcolm's got a name for it. And then we will move to 35 past the hour and we'll be joined by the creator of the World Food Championships, also the president and CEO of MMA Creative, a uh, PR and marketing firm out there in Tennessee. Mike McLeod joins the show and we have a lot to get to with Mike. We have plenty of recapping of World Food Championships, both as it sits currently in 2020, perhaps more importantly, we'll have to see how we're ending 2019 in the latest renditions of this particular event. The final table is actually carried over into the next year. So the 2019 uh, folks that made it into that final table carry over into 2020. It still has not happened yet for obvious reasons. So we'll get a update on final table that's supposed to be taking place in Indianapolis, which might be my favorite city. Chicago actually might be my favorite city. But Indianapolis, in my heart, is probably my favorite city. I live in hypocrisy, by the way. You can tell because I'm telling you this is my favorite city, and then in the next sentence I'm telling you that this is my favorite city. Cleveland is my favorite city. Unquestionable. Unquestionable. You can't question that. Which is what unquestionable means. Outside of Cleveland, Indy, Chicago, Louisville, a lot of good times and good people in those spots. So it's hard for me to choose. Why choose? They're all my favorite. How about that? In any event, that's where the final table is supposed to be taking place. 
So we'll get an update from Mike on when and where that is actually, or when that is actually going to be. And then we will take 2020's World Food Championship in Dallas for the second year and see how that is looking currently. Typically, World Food is still out a handful of months in that November time frame. So we'll see if they're still forging ahead given the conditions of the country and all this other stuff. So Mike McLeod, 35 past. And then we'll move to the second hour. The other first Tuesday of the month guest is none other than Sam the Cooking Guy, who also missed last month. We'll immediately question him on why the hell he missed last month. And then we will talk to him about many cool things, not the least of which is crossing over the 2 million subscribers mark on YouTube. And to go in with a bang of 2 million, a 20-pound hamburger cook that we will talk about in depth. Plus, we might talk about avocados and some other things, what the 4th of July looked like for him, how his businesses are doing, how they're reopening out there, or maybe they're starting to roll back some reopening. Is there a lot of rollbacks that are taking place here across the country? So we'll see what happens. Malcolm Reed, Mike McLeod, Sam the Cooking Guy on your docket for this evening. Don't forget you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and Snappy Snaps slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook. I will say right now, I try to get cute with the streaming software and schedule something. So technically, A, I don't even know if this is getting out on Facebook, so I apologize if it's not, but I haven't seen any emails to the negative. Uh, And then perhaps more importantly, while I had figured out how to see the chat coming in, with my cuteness, I believe I have stymied the chat this go-around, and I don't want to kill the stream in order to to get everything back up. So I'm probably living without chat this evening, which, you know, by and large, no big deal for me. I'm happy that I found a way to interact with everybody but it's probably not going to the be this week. And by the way, there's going to be no show next week because of the move. Hours after this show ends this evening, I'll be tearing down the Barbecue Central Show studios. Over the past many weeks, I have been slammed with emails from men asking me about why their balls hang so low. Uh-oh. Now, you might be asking yourself, really? You've been getting those emails? And I have to say, of course, the answer is no. I'm not getting those emails. However, I am a subscriber to Dollar Shave Club, and I have been for years, and each time my razors are delivered, included in that package is a copy of their bathroom minutes or bathroom pages, whatever the hell they're called, chock full of random, mostly male-related items and tidbits. And I don't usually read any of them because, as we all know, reading is stupid. But for whatever reason, this time I started leafing through it and found a particularly interesting page that I wanted to share with the gents in the room. So ladies, feel free to tune out for the next couple minutes because it does have has nothing to do with you. However, should you feel compelled to listen in order to gain the knowledge that I am about to disseminate here in a few minutes, share it with your male companions, so be it. But I do want to talk to you guys about How low are my balls going to go anyway? This is a thing. Like fur in our ears, liver spots on our face, and back hair on our backs. A saggy scrotum is a fact of life. That said, what exactly are we dealing with here? Are your balls simply getting heavier as we age, or is some other black magic at play? And it's be and it'd be one thing if our balls hung just slightly lower. But why does it seem like the older we get, the lower they go? It's a combination of gravity and changes within the scrotal skin, explains urologist and men's health expert, Dr. Jamin Bromhat. As a man ages, the skin with the scrotum loses its elasticity, and the muscles that are responsible for keeping the skin tight lose some of their musculature and function. Sadly, that means our balls are going to hang and hang low. And there's little we can do about it. Worse yet, when it comes to rock bottom, there is no set limit that I am aware of. 
says Dr. Bromit. That said, don't let free swinging scrotums get you down. It's not a cause for concern. However, if you experience pain or enlarge testicles, then for sure get checked by a doctor. And don't forget to fetch the wheelbarrow. That's right. Fetch the wheelbarrow. So for all the males that have been Asking me about low-hanging balls. <laughs> I have refer. And by the way, lest anyone think that this is any form of medical journal or publication that a well-respected medicine man has published, forget it. I'm not saying that. I am saying that within those pages, a a doctor. A doctor was consulted with, and he has been quoted a number of times in that article. So, hey guys, not only do you have to look forward to balding, losing your faculties, incontinence, impotence, uh, you now have uh, to look forward to big balls. <laughs> No thanks. And low-hanging balls, more than big. Actually, scratch the... Knock the big balls out. Low-hanging balls. That's what we're talking about. Are we really talking about balls? I guess we are. I'm glad I'm not seeing the chat right now. Can only imagine. Let me talk to you quickly about the World Food Championships and their partnership with Walmart.com. Walmart chefs are daring you to get creative and take part in their food challenge. Some of my favorite food sport friends from the World Food Championships have partnered with Walmart to launch a Walmart cooking challenge. They're challenging foodies to a fun contest where 40 people across the country can win a $250 Walmart gift card. I know you need that. I need that. Let's get after it. Four talented Walmart chefs have created delicious customizable recipe videos for inspiration. The tutorials even allow you to make substitutions while you're cooking with them virtually. So let your creativity run free. Show your chefy skills or your cooking abilities if you're not a chef. For all the rules and a way to find out how you can enter, go to walmart.com slash cooking challenge. That's walmart.com slash cooking challenge. Some of those chefs include Darcy Boz, Anthony Serrano, and Eric Harland. Recipes include iron skillet lasagna, tri-bean pasta or tri-bean protein bowl, grilled tacos, and one of my favorites, a stuffed avocado. And as we know, avocados also are the main ingredient in guacamole. Again, the website is walmart.com slash cooking challenge. The contest ends at 11.59 p.m. Eastern on July 31st. So you got a couple weeks left to A, enter, and B, start making your cooking challenge recipes. 250 bucks for 40 of you. If you win, chip me off 10% because I told you about it. Fair enough. Malcolm Reed is going to be coming up out of the break. So you just stick around and we'll be right back right after this. Casting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Butcher's Barbecue, makers of award-winning injections, marinades, rubs, barbecue sauces, and grilling oils. All of Butcher Barbecue products tested on the competition circuit as well as backyards worldwide. Be the pitmaster of your neighborhood and visit ButcherBBQ.com to stock up now. Always trust your butcher. Be sure to subscribe to Dave's podcast as well. All right, it is first Tuesday of the month. 
and one of two regularly scheduled YouTube mavens makes his reappearance here on the show. So we race to the hotline and welcome back Malcolm Reed from How to Barbecue Right and, of course, the pitmaster of Killer Hogs. Hey, Malcolm. What's happening, Greg? I am excited to catch up with Malcolm Reed. You're looking well. You're looking rested. Um, were you, like, on vacation last <laughs> month, or what were you up to? It was a guy's fishing trip, and we'd had it scheduled for a while. It just kind of fell to where if the show would have been earlier in the day, I might have could have made it, but I couldn't promise you what shape I was in Aha, at well, 8 o'clock. <laughs> we want Malcolm Reed at tip-top shape, no doubt about it, so we're happy to let you get the free pass there last month and get in that fishing. Like, are you uh, a big fishing guy? Is it like, do you look forward to fishing? Um, I do. I, we enjoy it. That's why I'm actually getting ready. To, I guess I'm somebody that likes punishment because I'm getting on a boat tomorrow. This time I've got Rochelle and Michael with me and we've chartered a boat. We're going, we're actually down on the beach right now. Do you? So I couldn't miss two two months in a row, man. I had oh. to, I had to make I had Look to make you. computers. I appreciate one. you putting in that time and effort right here on this show. Everybody's always happy to see you anyway. Uh, are you? Uh, do you own your own boat? No, man. We just charter. You yeah. know, we just, we find one of these guys that has a charter boat and just you book them a few months in advance and take a you know six hour trip out and go catch some fish. Hopefully. All right. So last month in June, when you're on that fishing trip. Uh, aside from maybe you caught some fish, what else happened? And let's be honest. Well, it was the worst. <laughs> it's probably the worst experience of my life. Really? And I swore that I'd never get on another boat. <laughs> but let's charter but, another know, one and do it like uh, tomorrow, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, you know, we've had storms the past two days, so I'm sitting here nervous tonight. But it was it was one of those things. We were watching the weather, and we were just sure the captain wasn't going to take us out if it was going to be bad. So we asked, and we were like the only boat going out that morning um, from where we were. We were the first. I wanted to be the last, but the waves were just, you know, he t- he said they were going to be one to two footers, but they ended up being like six to nine footers, oh. which was like two to three meter waves. <laughs> and so we were off on the numbers, but needless to say, I did not have a good trip. I've never been seasick, but there's always a first, I guess. And we had a uh, a couple of my buddies with me, Heath Riles, you may know him or oh, yeah. uh, heard of him. He's, he's, you know, he's really into barbecue. And uh, so he, he was the first one to get sick. Well, after that, it just kind of threw me into it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it was the waves or the or, or the smell or what it was, but I was not a happy guy that day. So it, Heath, was, it was four hours of pure hell, oh Greg, well, pure hell. Heath gets sick and you follow suit. So it's so if. We can perhaps surmise, or let's not even perhaps, let's surmise that if Heath doesn't get loose, Malcolm Reed is 100% fine. He enjoys whatever rolling and rocking that he has while catching bluefins and tunas and sailfish and whatever else you're catching out there. I'm going to say I would have been okay if he hadn't got sick. I'm yeah. going to put that on him. While he's not here with me, I'm going to put that on him, Greg. That's right. It's like the uh, it's like the movie and it's like the scene in Stand by Me where one person throws up and then everybody else starts throwing up. That's exactly the way I felt. For the kids in the movie theater and it just chain reaction. Oh man, it wasn't good. We only had one garbage can on the boat. So we were both just <laughs> Oh my god, that's like the worst. Two full-grown men sharing one garbage can, giving it all you got. Yeah, it wow. was not. It was horrible. I I smell a movie called uh, Two Guys One Can. Oh my god, that's got to be terrible, unbelievable, <laughs> oh, no doubt. All right, so Malcolm gets seasick, but he's as as he had mentioned, a glutton for punishment as they're headed out tomorrow. Um, and well, hopefully the seas are a little bit calmer for you. Do you think? Uh, I mean, has anybody else in your family uh, a sea? sick person potentially or it's a wait and see when you get out there well it's but this is the year anniversary where we took michael for the first time and of course him and rochelle had a horrible oh. experience oh, last no. year so we're trying to hey, we're, we're giving it we're giving it another go greg that's all i can say it's probably not smart but we're gonna see all right we'll see how it goes can't wait to hear the recap on the podcast whenever that happens 
uh, Malcolm Reed joining oh, me here be, yeah, on the show. Next week. We'll, okay. we'll definitely do one and catch up. All right, I want to hear that. Uh, Malcolm Reed here on the show, how to bbqright.com, his website, and where you can find him on YouTube as well. 993,000 current subscribers as of 7.08 p.m. Eastern this evening when I checked. Uh, Malcolm, much like George Peterson is the sausage king of Chicago, rumor has it that you are the catfish king of Mississippi. Is that true? This is a fact. Wow. I, I've got the award, the certificate framed somewhere to prove it. Wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the I'm presence of greatness. Royalty, I might yeah, add. I don't know. <laughs> it may have been the one and only <laughs> contest they had, but I was deemed the catfish king that day, and, and then they never did it again. So I think it's just a raining. It's a, one of those rains forever. Yes. Well, I mean, much like the uh, – the, a. Uh, 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 whatever you call that thing with kings and queens, there's a special word for that that I can't uh, remember uh, right off the top of my head. Um, but, I mean, it's like you never die, right? As long as you never die, you continue to be king forever. That's it. It's yeah. catfish royalty, man. All right. I like it. You're, look, you're, you're in the presence of catfish royalty. I love it. <laughs> now, are, is, are you just a catcher or will you also eat catfish? No, man, I love, you know, Mississippi's big in catfish. I've been eating catfish my whole life. Uh, most of the time we fry it, you know, fried catfish fillets. But it's really excellent on the grill, too. I've got some great recipes on the on the site. Um, but, you know, we use it for all kinds of th- stuff. It's really good blackened. It's great grilled. It makes good catfish tacos. I mean, you can do po'boys. You do all kinds of stuff with catfish. Would you say it's a mild fish? I'm not a big fish guy. A very, very thin uh, uh temptations for me to go on the fish stuff maybe a little bit of tilapia maybe uh maybe a little sea bass a chilean sea bass uh, if it's on a menu somewhere but otherwise i'm more crustaceans and crab legs and that kind of thing so uh, what's the flavor and the in the palate like it's a mild white fish uh you know it's you know it kind of takes on whatever seasoning you put on it but a lot of times we just use a little salt and pepper, cornmeal, and peanut oil, man. That makes the best fried catfish. <laughs> Serve it with a little hot sauce and a squeeze of lemon, and you've got some really good eats. But but it's a it's a white, flaky fish, way better than tilapia. If you like tilapia, catfish it'll, should blow your mind. It's it's much better. Um, you know, it's hard to compare it to an ocean fish, but it you know it's it's a since it's uh, pond raised, the fish that we eat, it's super clean. They they're grain fed. They haven't just been eaten. You know, a lot of people think catfish are trash fish. Yeah. And if you catch them out of rivers and stuff like that, they probably are. They'll eat anything. But the one the pond raised fish that we're known for in Mississippi are all fed. You know, grain diet and the perfect size for fillets. You know, usually we're getting these three to five ounce catfish fillets, which is a young fish, and man, they're just really really good. All right. Well, I'll have to put catfish on the potential menu. I got to say, I'm probably not too risky, but if you're giving it the vote of confidence, it makes me feel a little bit better. Uh, I was uh, well. Let me ask you this before we get done with the fishing: What's your favorite fish to eat? If there's no limit and you have access to everything, what's your go-to? Man, that, you hit it on the Chilean sea bass. If I oh. see that on the menu, I always go to it because I figure they they wouldn't have it on there if they didn't know how to fix it because it's a, a really expensive fish. Yeah. But the probably the best piece of fish I've ever ate has been Dover Soul, hmm. and it's it's really, really good. Call it the King's Fish. Dover Soul. All right, I'll be on the lookout for that, too. Now, I was listening to your June 26th podcast recently, and I thought you brought up an interesting take on chicken, competition chicken, especially when it goes through multiple thaw-slash-freeze cycle and how it ultimately degrades the end product. You had an issue with this at your first competition of the year, which we'll talk about here in a second because obviously we want to hear about the trailer. But let's talk a little bit about that whole competition chicken issue that you run into and tell us a little bit about that. Well, I've, I've just noticed that whenever we're, you know, if we're buying competition meat or any meat and you take it home, if it's been froze once and you let it thaw out and you try to put it back in the freezer and freeze it back, it kind of destroys those protein fibers of the meat which causes it to really lose moisture. Uh, you've probably seen it and didn't really know what was happening on a butt or some ribs when you've refroze them and thawed them out, and there's a ton of liquid in the pouch, you know, in the cryovac. Well, what that is, that's all the moisture that was in the meat is just leaked out of the, the, the actual protein because mm-hmm. it's broken down. It can't hold that moisture anymore. 
there's no amount of injection or brine or anything that's going to put it back. It just, it's denatured. So we we figured out that, or we think it's probably happened in some of our contests. Meet when I'm ordering chicken, like I've ordered some Springer Mountain Farms chicken, and it, and I got it. You know, me and a buddy went in on some, and then I got it, and it was thawed out. I stuck it back in the freezer. I thought I was going to get to use it. The contest got canceled, but I stuck it back in the freezer where I thawed it out and used it this time, and it was just the texture was off. It had a dry texture even after we you know injected it and did everything that we did to it. The texture still wasn't as as good as it is when you first get it, you thaw it, and then you cook it. Um, you know that uh, it has to, it has to have something to do with the flash the way they flash freeze meat. A lot of times, if you get it and it's froze from the processor, they're using a technique that really freezes it fast, and it before those ice crystals can form and destroy the proteins, it's frozen. So that's you know that's how you get these single frozen chicken breast and things like that. They're still juicy. But if you get it and you thaw it and you try to put it back in your freezer at home, it's going to really destroy it. So, so when you're talking to some of the other pitmasters, is that thing is that something that they're running into as well? Where if they get something frozen from whoever the purveyor is, they only want to thaw it once, and the practice is to not go ahead and refreeze it then for uh, the simple way of getting out of that whole denaturing. That's the that's the consensus I'm hearing when I'm talking to my buddies. Um, we've I've actually spoke, you know, had uh, David Boska tell me before that he figured out a way he could kind of turn his deep freeze into a blast chiller and get it froze back quick by dropping a little small, uh, you have to leave plenty of room in your deep freeze, but you can put a little small fan in there, like uh, just a, a tabletop oscillating fan, and you could drop it in your deep freeze. It creates that blast chiller by moving the air fast enough. Hmm. And if you put the meat on racks and there's enough air to get around it, It'll actually freeze it super fast, which is kind of like a you know false blast chiller. But um, he said he's done it and it's worked with briskets and things. I haven't tried that yet because I don't have enough room in my freezer. But, but it's a thought, you know. So are you putting the if you're doing that makeshift blast chiller? Are the chickens just out naked? They're not in a in a in a vacuum pack or anything like that. Well, I would imagine I would imagine they're probably in packaging already. You're just leaving enough room for air to circulate around it. You're not trying to freeze it each individual piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I could see, you know, like a six pack or a nine pack of them and you, you put it on like a little raised rack so air could definitely get all the way around it instead of just being flat on other meat stacked in there. All right, Malcolm. So this was a, a great weekend for you because you finally got to use that brand new competition trailer we had tracked the progress from pre-build to in the build and you went and took delivery of it and coronavirus hit and it sat there in the garage or out there on the driveway looking great and not being used which had to be extremely frustrating considered you had dumped a bunch of money into this thing and really hadn't been able to use it so what was it like pulling and getting in loading into the competition and how did it work from a creature comfort wise uh, the whole deal like how did it work when it really counted man it couldn't have worked any better i mean it was such a you know big change from what we had because we felt like we had more storage space um and of course we had to kind of work out some kinks on where we were gonna you know set up the cut station and and you know op- operate and sleep and all that but man it, it couldn't have worked any better i mean we had you know the full restroom, shower. We had plenty of sleeping room. Uh, Michael actually stayed the night with me and Waylon, my brother, and we, you know, we it, it froze us out of there. The ACs worked perfectly, and this was the middle of June, so it was really hot. Um, everything went great. We didn't do as well as we hoped for in the actual barbecue contest. We were cooking on a brand new cooker that had never, you know, it had been lit, but it hadn't been seasoned or anything. So we were kind of, you know. Just shooting in the dark on that, but we finished about middle of the pack. I think we were like twentieth out of forty-eight teams, something like that. It wasn't wasn't my best day, but it was not my worst either. How long do you think Sorry it takes for you to get a new cooker seasoned up to where you can rely on it like you would a one that's already broken? It, uh, you know, a couple cooks. I would say I need to do some more cooking on it. I hadn't had a lot of times. So we've been you know kind of busy here with uh, everything going on and trying to get a vacation in and, and winding down. But I need to get a few more cooks on that cooker to really to get it seasoned the way I want to. Now, I guess I could load it up with some butts and cook a bunch of butts on it a couple of times and get some flavor going. But I don't like to cook anything but contest stuff on my contest cookers if I can help it. From a contest perspective, when's the next one? 
potentially? Man, um, I really don't know, Greg. I mean, you know, everything that I've that I was hoping for has gotten canceled. You know, they canceled Memphis and May on us officially. They've canceled yep. a big one called Pusacue. We were going to go to down in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, Seventeenth um, Street. I haven't heard the official word if Mike's and Amy are still having their contest, but we'll probably try to go to Murfreesboro, take the new trailer up there, and you know, they have a state contest and a uh, actually it's a dual MBN and a uh, KCBS, right. so you know it's always an awesome contest. That's uh, praise the Lord, right? That's it. Yeah. That's it. It's it's man, it's one of my favorites. All right, uh, so let's talk about apple pie ribs for the last few minutes here. I saw that was one of the perhaps that was the most recent video that's on the YouTube channel. So you know, I agree with you as I was listening to you and and Rochelle. By the way, if you don't listen or you don't know that Malcolm has a podcast in addition to the YouTube channel. You uh, can go to Spotify or all the other Google, um, all the other podcast platforms, and just search for "How to BBQ Right," and then it comes up. And it's unique in the fact that it's not like a show like this, you know, where we're doing interviews and trying to break news and all this other stuff. It's really a uh, behind-the-scenes look or a pull-back-the-curtain of how the recipes went and things that are happening in their daily lives. So you get to learn a little bit more about Malcolm as a human and uh, Rochelle as a human and the inner workings of what you see from a finished product standpoint on the YouTube page. I think that's why I really like it and I like listening to it because uh, I always love to know the business and the details and this didn't work and that worked. Like when Rochelle was talking about, I could hear her, her, uh, her mania talking about the whole hog thing you did with like the new microphones and how the sound was getting picked up. I was like, wow, she sounds exactly like I would sound when you're reviewing the finished product. So for me, getting all that inside baseball kind of stuff is really cool. So make sure that you're subscribed to that. But let's talk a little bit about those ribs and where the recipe genesis comes from and how you make them. Well, you know, those apple pie ones, that were something that I was just trying to do something that would be pretty cool, something different for the 4th of July. And, you know, you kind of think of American as apple pie. That's kind of, you know, let's say in hot dogs, apple pie, all that good stuff. And it was something great that I put together to do around that holiday. I mean, they were really good ribs. Uh, You know, I kept it. uh, It was a pretty basic recipe, but I used some ingredients that most people probably wouldn't use altogether. Um, You know, I had, I just, Heath has a a good apple seasoning that he used. It's uh, He uses it as like a finishing dust or mixed with a combination of his seasonings. I mean, it's comp ribs. Well, I just broke it out. I said, this is going to make a great apple pie rib as a foundation. So I used the apple rub. And then in the wrap, instead of going the traditional like butter, honey, brown sugar, I used apple butter, which is Mm. kind of like a kicked up applesauce. Um, I did use some butter in there with the apple butter to give it a little more richness. But I kept it really simple. Uh, I basted the ribs throughout the cook while they were smoking with apple cider vinegar mixed with apple juice. So I kind of had this, this whole apple... Uh, play going the whole time and at the end i really didn't know how it was going to turn out because this was one of those recipes where i just first go we're going to cook it and i'm going to give my honest opinion of it and rochelle's like these are just going to be over the top apple you know that's all you're (laughs) going to taste and you really didn't it was balanced man it was some it was a fruitiness and it tastes like apple but you really got some smoke from the grill i used apple pellets in my in my yoder 640 that i cooked it on so you got some of those notes but it was still barbecue and it's still really good. I mean, you know, it was, I was happy with them. And Shell was like, we could turn these in. I mean, and, oh, wow. and 17th Street, you know, since it's known for like apple country there in Southern Illinois, we're going to do that recipe for ribs. Hmm. Um, one of the things that I noticed, and maybe it's not the first time I noticed it with you, but I don't really see a lot of people doing it, is that you're temping your ribs. And the only other person that I knew that was doing that currently is Danielle Bennett, AKA DVQ. So, I mean, if she's doing it good enough for me to start doing it, and then I see that you are also doing it. So I guess that confirms that maybe I will do that the next time I do ribs. What are you looking for temperature wise, or is it a, uh, in lieu of like a toothpick or a bend test or something like this? It's both, but it's really, you know, you want that feel, that that almost no resistance in between the bones. But I'm wanting to see that rib about 202 degrees because I know it's going to carry over to about 206, 207. And this is one of those, you know, how I invite some people on to teach me some stuff in some of my videos. Yeah. I invited Heath on because he was like killing it, NBM rib team of the year, you know, team of the year. And just every time he was doing great ribs, I stole his technique from him to, 
<laughs> the cat's out of the bag, but he was tipping ribs and he started teaching me what it was what he was looking for. And I was like, man, that makes so much sense because I've never tipped ribs either. Yeah. I would do the pull, the bend, try to try to twist the bones. But once I started doing that, I started nailing tenderness on ribs. So it kind of changed the game a little bit for me. So you're pulling at 202 and allowing for carryover of, you know, four or five degrees uh, up to that 206, 207 area. Absolutely. That's And usually if you just let them hold for 30, 45 minutes, they'll be perfect. And then you can take them out of the foil, finish them up. How do you hold ribs? What are you doing? Just foil into a dry cooler like everything else? I vent them first. You know, when they come off the grill, I let the heat out, and then I wrap them back up, and I've got these. It's called a party stacker. Um, I think Igloo makes it, or Coleman. It's one of the cheap Walmart-style cooler companies, and it's just called. It's made for like a case of beer, mm. case of soft drinks, and it's kind of flat. It holds six slabs of ribs perfect, dry, and you can put a few towels in it just to take up some more space if you need to, but it doesn't let them overcook. You know, it doesn't hold the steam in well enough to where they're overcooking, but it still lets them carry over. And I've held them for an hour, hour and a half in it before and do fine. All right. Well, we're uh, all going to start temping ribs now that you're showing it and uh, <laughs> we're talking about it here and who knows where it's going to go from here. I do know that you can find Malcolm Reed on this show the first Tuesday of every month. We wish you good luck on the fishing expedition tomorrow and hope everybody uh, has their sea legs about them. And we will uh, talk to you again in August, if you can believe it. Hey, I'll see you next month, and hopefully I'll hit that million uh, subscriber count before then, so we'll have something to celebrate, Greg. All right, we'll talk about it then. There he is, Malcolm Reed, right there from How to BBQ Right. Wow-wee. There, you know, nothing is more manly than having experience. And I say, uh, you know, manly in a generic sense. I'm not talking about men, women, or anything like that, but there's nothing more, uh, let's say tough. There's nothing tougher than going out on a fishing expedition a year ago and then experiencing terrible seasickness and then a year later saying you know what we're gonna give that a go again we're gonna see how that works out this time way to go Rochelle way to go Michael very tough very tough of you you know who else is tough Sterling Ball trying to catch people looting his whole a deal of uh, newspapers. But in lieu of that, he's also selling you great rubs and seasonings. Big Papa Smokers is the place to go. BigPapaSmokers.com. 13 perfectly balanced rubs and spices. I love sweet money. I love Little Louis seasoned salt. When I'm getting into the beef, I do like cash cow. I do like double secret steak rub. I love a bunch of that stuff. It's really good. So if you haven't tried it, make sure you go over to BigPapaSmokers.com and check out what they have. Also, they do have that barbecue sauce, Granny's Barbecue Sauce. They own that one. So if you're looking for a great base rub or, uh, sorry, base sauce, you can use that. Or if you just want to use it and go, it's great all by itself. So either or. Use it as it's standalone or if you don't want to make a base sauce and then tweak from there, use Granny's. Then make your tweaks. At least you know you have a good base that you're off and running with. And whatever you do to it then, I mean, that's on you. Also, they got grills. If you're looking for a great grill that's easy to use, the Mac 2-Star General Pellet Grill is the one you want to take a look at. Big Papa's the exclusive Mac dealer, even offering special packages. If you're not a fan of pellet smokers, take a look at the Old Hickory Ace BP, the only charcoal cooker that Big Papa trusts on his competition trailer. If you're not sure of what grill you might want or need... Call them and ask questions. They're happy to help. 877-828-0727. That's 877-828-0727. Or shop their website at BigPapaSmokers.com. That's BigPapaSmokers.com. We are back with Mike McLeod from the World Food Championships next. Stick around. We'll be right back. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rampey. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by CookinPellets.com. So if you get a Mac 2 Star General Pellet Grill from Big Papa Smokers, go over to CookinPellets.com and buy all of your wood pellets there. Quality 
wood pellets, of course. You can buy on Amazon.com if you want as well. Cookingpellets.com is the place to go and check out all the flavors that they have. They are great. I use them. My next guest is the president and CEO of MMA Creative, also the creator of the World Food Championships. That is obviously going to be the topic of discussion tonight. There might be one other topic, uh, maybe, that will fold into World Food Championships at some point, but I'm just teasing you here at this stage of the game. We race to the hotline, and welcome back, friend of the show, Mike McLeod. Hey, Mike, how are you? Craig Rimpy, long time, no talk, buddy. How are you? Oh, I'm uh, doing fabulous, getting ready to move here after the show is down uh, one city east of where I'm currently at because I do not move anywhere far. We just inch our way further (laughs) east to uh, the Great Lake Erie. But nevertheless, uh, looking forward to catching up with you here and plenty to talk about for crying out loud. So let's start with, I guess, what is the pinnacle of the World Food Championships 2019 which is the final table uh, that has been uh, kind of pushed around a little bit, given where we're at here uh, as a state of uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, blah, blah, blah. So uh, what is the current update with the final table and when do you foresee that happening? Current update is it's going to happen in August. Uh, we're 30 days out. We're going to uh, Indianapolis tomorrow, as a matter of fact, to do uh, final planning. Uh, so August, um, Eighth uh, and ninth, we're going to be up there, and we're going to we're going to find out who the next one hundred thousand dollar winner is of um, of the World Food Championships. We got ten great champions from across the country coming in to Indy, and uh, we've had a great game plan for a long time. But obviously, we got pushed off um, from of May with uh, the coronavirus when it first uh, hit, and. Um, but we're we're in good uh, good shape right now. We we fall within all the social distancing and and um, public um, uh, attendance caps right now in Indianapolis. So we're going to make it happen. Is this event going to be outside or will it be inside somewhere? It'll be inside mostly. Uh, we partnered with uh, a great culinary school up there at the Ivy Tech Community College. Uh, we've got Cisco on board to do our pantry. We've got Red Go Tomatoes involved, Maple Leaf Farms involved, uh, Visit Indy involved. Uh, we're going to go to a couple local restaurants and learn some local dishes. Uh, our new format where where the champions have to navigate three challenges is in effect. Same thing we did in New Orleans. Uh, we're going to do it in, in uh, Indy. And um, they'll, so they'll go and taste some dishes, and then they'll come back to Ivy Tech. And uh, we have two professional kitchens set up that allow us to, to do some social distancing. And uh, we have a big auditorium that could have seated probably 400 people, but we're wow. cutting that to 250. So um, we, we expect to be able to perform under all the current CDC restrictions and guidelines and under Indianapolis rules, and we're going to uh, we're going to make it happen. It's it's going to be a fun, great uh, event. Uh, this class of champions is pretty phenomenal. We've got uh, three people out of the ten who have been at a final table before, wow. so um, they'll, they'll have a little bit of insight as to what the pressure is like, what the environment is like. Uh, but uh, this is it's going to be a, a great lineup, great challenge, and a great event. Mike, it's no secret here on this show that Indianapolis is one of my favorite cities for many reasons. Uh, Certainly the food scene there is good. I have a lot of uh, travel sport connection back there, so there's a lot of great memories for me. But when you think of Indianapolis, what comes to mind from a food perspective for you? Well, for me, um, some great places like Oakley's comes to mind. Uh, For a lot of people, I'm I'm sure St. Elmo's comes to mind. the the we we looked at doing uh, a St. Elmo's dish, but we we at the end of the day we thought it might be a little honestly a little too simple for the challenge. So um, <laughs> we have engaged uh, several local culinary experts, and uh, they've created a great uh, uh, three challenges for us. We're going to have a duck dish. It's going to be a big challenge. We've got a pork dish, which is you know Indian. Indiana is one of the great pork producers 
um, in America. Yep. So uh, not many people know that, but we're we're going to reinforce that. And um, the, the final challenge is going to be the um, uh, sugar cream pie, uh, which is one of the the great uh, Indiana State Fair challenges every year. And and the winner of last year's Indiana State Fair is going to be on our judging panel. This is the first time, by wow. the way, that we will have three completely different panels of judges. We'll have 15 judges, uh, all of them from Indiana or Indianapolis, and uh, no one that has ever competed or been involved with uh, food sport and world food championships before. So uh, very um, independent, very, um, um, uh, how how would you say it, Uh, unbiased opinions, uh, going into the final table, and and the champion that comes out of this one is going to be able to claim something that that no other champion has before, and that is that they face three distinct panel of judges, all of whom are uh, local experts. Let me uh, play devil's advocate here just for a second, Mike. And we've had plenty of discussions back when you were dealing with KCBS, and a lot of the fire, still, you know, fire that you hear these days is. Uh, complaining about judging and, you know, the judging isn't consistent or how do you train judges, blah, blah, blah. Is it a, when you look at your particular EAT methodology that you have created and that how uh, these champions are chosen from uh, that EAT methodology, is there any thought given to figuring out who the best of the best EAT judges are and then inviting them in to be kind of the the new ambassadors of you know whatever a judge should look like uh, regarding that eat methodology well first of all if you didn't play devil's advocate i would ask you what's wrong with <laughs> of you course if right. you have covid 19 <laughs> um but uh no we we look we every now that we have established this process for the final table our objective is to as we go into a new community and we'll do this every year we're going to find the very best, the most respected, uh, the most decorated judges of that community. And we're going to invite them to participate in our process. And some of them we're going to invite to create our process. Um, so I don't really think that there is a judging process, a judging methodology out there that, that can outweigh the integrity of, of inviting the best uh, chefs, the best culinary experts from a community to a judging panel, number one. Number two, every, every single show you've ever watched in your life on Food TV um, has, has involved some kind of expert, some kind of judging process, some kind of subjective element. And no matter how you try to objectify a judging process, there's going to be a level of subjectivity. So what we try to do uh, is bring great taste buds, great palates to the table, uh, great independent, uh, non-biased opinions to the table. And then we tell them, your scoring has to fit into this methodology. We call it the E methodology. And uh, once they learn our methodology, I feel really good about it uh, because take last year when we when we worked with Dickie Brennan, when we worked with um, the executive chef of Antoine's, anyone that would ever judge or anyone that would ever, I guess, um, accuse them of favoritism or some kind of inappropriate judging Mm -hmm. just simply didn't know the integrity of who those people were. So we're, we're, we're trying to do the same thing in Indianapolis. We'll do the same thing next year and the following year. We're working on those judging panels already, um, believe it or not. And I, I'm just not going to spend a whole lot of time losing sleep over someone that would say, Oh my, my gosh, well, he, he's going to choose X over Y because um, they're, they're, they're underestimating the integrity of that individual. And now that we've changed the final table to a cooking challenge, not just a category challenge, 
used to be that we had, you know, barbecue represented barbecue, dessert represented dessert, yep. seafood represented seafood. There, there was an element of, of possible advantage considered in that process. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was really ever a factor in us choosing the winners in the past. But now that we have completely navigated that and moved on over to, you have to uh, perfect three challenges. It's, it's, it's anybody's game. I mean, you, you just have to be a great cook. Um, take, take Yvette Raman. Yvette Raman is a former dessert champion. She now is a two-time dessert champion. She may be thinking, oh, my gosh, sugar cream pie is in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, guess what? Sugar cream pie is the third challenge. If you can't work with pork and you can't work with duck, you're not going to get to dessert. You're not going to get to sugar cream pie. So I think our format for the final table now is probably the biggest culinary gauntlet known to our industry. And that includes Food Network. I don't think there's a single show. I don't think there's a single event. I don't think there's a single anything out there that's as challenging for 10 individuals as our final table. And one day people are going to recognize that and they're going to agree to that and they're going to recognize that whoever comes out of our final table is a damn good cook and they deserve $100,000. Mike McLeod joining me here on the show. Worldfoodchampionship.com is the website and we're looking forward to seeing how the final table comes off here in August. Uh, Mike, not uh, passing that to the side here abruptly, but 2020 also has a World Food Championships that need to take place in Dallas. So uh, with everything else going on, obviously, as we had talked about it, it affected the final table here. Is anything going on from an effect standpoint with the run-up to the 2020 World Food Championships? You know, it's been a strange year, and we're watching um, a lot of different things very closely right now. We just heard today that uh, the Texas State Fair was canceled, and we we hated to hear that. Yeah. Um, but um, we are we are moving according to plan. We are green light go at this moment. We believe, I personally believe, that in November of this year that we're going to be able to conduct our championship. Um, we are making alternative contingency plans. Of course, we have to. You you have to, you know, hope for the best and expect the worst. Um, but I I believe we're going to have a, a an ability to conduct a championship. I think we may end up being the very first major food event in Dallas this year. Uh, now that the Texas State Fair has has canceled. Um, we're, we're very optimistic. We're very hopeful, but we're also keeping very close eye to, to what's going on with the virus. And we have taken a a lot of measures. We already know how we're going to position people in our, our arena. As you know, this year for the first time, we're going to be inside. We're going to be at, uh, Centennial Hall of Fair Park. We got two or three areas that, that we'll be used outside for steak, for barbecue, and for our, our burger um, contestants if they want uh, to grill outside. But um, we're moving forward mm-hmm. with our game plan in hopes that by November this virus is behind us or at least under control. Um, if it's not, we'll we'll assess. Um, and, and our ultimate date for making that opinion or that um, go no go situation is September one. Uh, so we've got some time to, to watch, to learn. And you know, the one thing that, that I've got my, my eye on that's huge to this whole situation is, um, and you guys may not understand this up North, but we have this thing <laughs> um, called, called SEC football. South oh, I'm sorry, Mike. We have big 10 football um, up here, pal. You ever heard of Ohio state? We win national uh, championships. Is that 
is that the Big Ten or Soft Eleven? I forgot. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the the, the it's tough talk from a guy coming deal. from Tennessee, and, by the way, pal. And <laughs> right, <laughs> but um, you know, if if SEC football is canceled or moved or postponed, then, then obviously we got to take we got to take note of that, yep. and we we got to pay attention to that. So. Um, I've got my eyes on on what the NCAA. Interestingly enough, NCAA is located in Indianapolis, yep. right? Uh, so we're paying very close attention. We're going to see what SEC decides. We're going to see what the NFL decides. Um, another another sixty days is going to tell us a lot. This this whole virus thing changes day by day, in my opinion. Um, but we're making plans to to pull off. Uh, the ninth World Food Championships in November, and and my hope is that we, at the worst case scenario, we have to do it with uh, limited attendance or uh, required face mask and things of that nature. Uh, but if not, if we have to postpone it, we will. But in it, as of as of right now, I'm patiently optim- optimistic and watching uh, watching the news every day. Mike, two quick things here before I let you go. Um, I just talked about it uh, going into the last break, which is the Walmart.com cooking challenge where 40 people across the country have the opportunity of winning a $250 gift card uh, if they submit one of the the dishes that one of the four celebrity uh, chefs have uh, given them some uh, instruction on, uh, but they're free to, to substitute. How does that deal come together? You know that that's been a, a phenomenal uh, project for us. Walmart is one of our our greatest and biggest food sport um, supporters, and 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 we we approached them several months ago and said, you know, people are staying home, they're cooking more at home now. Why don't we do something food sport esque to support them? And uh, they agreed to to green light a project for walk uh, for the cooking challenge. So what better way for all of us who are having to maybe stay home and, 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 and be sequestered at the moment uh, than to, to be able to cook at home, create a dish, and um, possibly win some money from it. So we've got 40 winners uh, that we're going to name in August. Um, all you have to do is, is go to walmart.com slash cooking challenge. Uh, watch our four or five uh, food champs who have already created a dish and given you some incentive and given you a challenge. Um, and then just create your own dish. You, use some some Walmart products. Um, just post post your challenge to the um, hashtag Walmart cooking challenge, and you can win $250 gift cards from uh, Walmart. We're going to have 40 individuals who win that. So uh, I highly encourage all of all of our friends who are in the cooking arena, the food sport arena, uh, jump on board, um, utilize this opportunity. It's probably the easiest chance you've ever had of, at winning 250 bucks. Um, and and we, we know we're all spending that much. I'm spending that much right now weekly, and I'm a single guy with, with a son. So uh, I, I know everyone else is spending a lot more money than I am. Um, so, uh, we're, we're very delighted with how that's going. It's going to end July 31st. Uh, we've had several great celebrities join the challenge already. Carla Hall has joined it. Uh, Spike Mendelson has, has taken the challenge. Um, so you're going up against some, some interesting individuals, yeah. but if you win, that's going to be a heck of a resume builder. So that's pretty cool. Uh, last thing before I let you go, uh, you're always into diversifying food and food sport and all this other stuff you had mentioned uh, before we got on air that there was something that you recently picked up that you might want to tell us about well the the new thing that we did this year and is right before the the pandemic hit um was we we had an opportunity to come into the chile arena in a serious way we um I, i got presented an opportunity to buy the international chile society i worked with ICS back in uh, 07, 08, uh, worked with the Hancocks who were who were managing it, it at the time. As you well know, Carol Shelby um, of Shelby GT fame, he and his friends started this thing over 50 years ago. And Chile has been the granddaddy, in my opinion, of, of uh, culinary competition. Yep. 
So um, we we had a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of opportunity to help them change and tweak some things back in 08, 09. And uh, lo and behold, this year um, we had a chance to to really delve into it, and I I actually purchased the International Chile Society. So um, we've added that championship to our our suite of options now. Uh, we are going to we were supposed to uh, that championship usually happens in October. But we decided to have a little bit more runway to get prepared, and then the pandemic hit, which obviously made sense for us to to extend it. Um, so we are going to hold that in April this year for the first time in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, so in 2021, when the world is back to normal, pray to God, um, we'll, we'll have in April we'll have this big chili championship in Myrtle Beach. We'll have in May this big final table for the 2020 10 champions. And then we'll start the whole process again in November in Dallas with the, the 2021 World Food Championship. So that's what the current game plan is. We're, we're very excited to be back in the Chile arena in a serious way. And we invite all of our food sport friends who are, who are good at cooking no matter what it is. Uh, to pay attention to what's going on with the International Chili Society because we're going to build that thing up and it's going to it's going to uh, reclaim its glory as the granddaddy of, of culinary cook, cooking. Mike, one last question. Do you foresee a time when you fold chili into World Food Championships? I mean, it seems like it makes perfect sense where you might you know run it out on its own as you're talking about here in, in April next year, but uh, at some point a year or two down the road, that gets in the fold of World Food Championships. Actually, I don't. Um, huh? We we had thought about that early on. We we analyzed it left and right, looked up and down, and um, you know we we had decided to move chili out of WFC and replace it with soup uh, this year in 2020. We're going to stay on that path. Um, the International Chili Society now, especially now that I own it, I, it, it I think it deserves its own championship, and we're going to keep it separate. Uh, what I would love to do, Greg, and I don't know what the third or the fourth entity is, but I, I think the culinary competition industry deserves four, five, six majors. And uh, if I could, if I could own and help operate and help uh, uh, seed fund three or four of those, um, I think that's going to be probably the, the pinnacle of my career. So uh, I'm going to keep Chile separate. It's going to start in the spring. Uh, or finish in the spring, actually, and then we will we will have the final table, um, and then we'll have uh, World Food Championships. Who knows what's next? I, I don't know what the fourth or fifth entity will be, but I'm always open to it, always looking for it, and always willing to take a chance. That's right, and we appreciate you coming here on the show and letting us know all about it, and we'll see how it unfolds here August and going forward. It's Mike McLeod from the World Food Championships. Mike, always appreciate the time. Great catching up. Always a pleasure, my friend. Good luck on your move. Thank you, sir. There he is, Mike McLeod from World Food Championships. And now the proud owner of uh, the International Federation of Chile. Wow. I didn't have any idea. that. I mean, I knew there was competition chili out there, but I thought that was like something that happened during barbecue competitions. I didn't know that was like a whole thing. So interesting to learn there. And... It's going to be its own standalone. I thought it made sense to fold that into the world food at some point. But as he said, at this stage, he will keep it as a standalone and run it in April. So we'll see how that goes. Mike McLeod and pulling a long segment, which I appreciate. I kept him over, but info was good. We're over on our top. So we'll catch up here and right the ship before we get to saying the cooking guy. I'll talk to you quickly about Pits and Spits since 1983. They've been handcrafting smokers and grills in Houston. In that time, Pits and Spits established itself as one of the premier brands in high-quality offset smokers and more recently pellet cookers. Setting itself apart by using heavy 7- and 10-gauge steel in every cooker, fully welded construction that you can feel when you use the unit, 304 stainless steel roll-top lids, and front shelves on every single unit. So why does it matter? Well, By using higher quality materials, Pits and Spits smokers reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat. 
and by providing fully welded smokers. You don't have to worry about grease or smoke leaking out of the barrel or about the grill rattling apart as you move it through the backyard. And using 304 Stainless, you're getting an heirloom quality product that you can pass down to generations. Now, where some companies focus on being low-cost providers, Pits and Spits focuses on craftsmanship using quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to manufacture products? Sure. But Pits and Spits doesn't like tack weld, cheap stainless, and electronics that you can't trust. Having in-house manufacturing gives them complete control of the design and process standards. That's not something you find in the low-cost providers. Their steel suppliers supply material to be used in some of the harshest environments, so you know they're going to perform in all conditions. And their controllers are made right here in the USA, so they are able to have unimpeded transparency in their program. Pits and Spits have a dealer network across the country, but if they're not one close to you, give them a call to shop 844-650-6250. Whether you're in the backyard, a grill master looking to cook steaks, or a competition cook cooking 50 racks of ribs, Pits and Spits has a product for you. You can check them out on their website, pitsandspits.com. That's all spelled out, by the way, pitsandspits.com. Or check them out in the wild across social media with our handle at Pits and Spits. That's at Pits and Spits. All right, we're back to wrap the first hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. And this portion of the show being brought to you by Fireboard. Monitor up to six different temperatures simultaneously. Connect to Wi-Fi for cloud-based monitoring or connect via Bluetooth. If you have Alexa or the Google Assistant in your home, you're locked. Fireboard, the original, and Fireboard 2, fully integrated with both. Find out more by visiting fireboard.com or call 816-945-2232. I once again used my Fireboard this past weekend as I was reverse searing steaks. I used three channels this time. They weren't all the exact same size. By the way, shout out to Kevin Green over at the Butcher Shop. And those steaks were suck you lunt. Prime one and a half inch thick ribeyes. They were great. Also, if uh, it was my first venture into the Duroc pork stuff, he carries Allegiance brand. These were very tightly trimmed St. Louis style. They were right in that three and a half pound rack, maybe four per rack. I had two racks. Great flavor. A unique flavor. Maybe it was just in my mind. I'll have to get another rack. But a unique, and, and I mean that in a good way, flavor, so... If you're looking for some great stuff, you know where to find Kevin Green over at the Butcher Shop. Mention the show, by the way, you get 10% off your order. Plenty to get to as we load into the second hour, so stick around. We'll be right back. 